uh, just give you a few things to, to think about as we, uh, we're about to hear the Word of God read to us. So as you know, Nate and I are preaching through a little mini-series on Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, it's entitled One Body, and this uh, chapter of Scripture uh, presents such a beautiful picture of a healthy church uh, that we're just so excited to, to share that with you and hold the Word of God up before you. So last week, Nate was outlining the, the effective call of God and how that helps us to step into uh, a unified calling from God to, to be his people. He was talking about how <clears throat> we follow one Father. We have one baptism, one hope, one Savior, one faith, and God makes us one body. And so today we're going to just consider more of the flow of thought in Ephesians chapter 4 of how God causes that one body to grow. God causes that one body to be built up in love. That's the title of today's sermon, Built Up in Love. Now, as you listen to Rob read our main text from Ephesians 4, just consider two things. Why does the church grow? It's evident in the passage that the church does grow. Why does the church grow? And then, how does the church grow? So, why and how does the church grow? And then, if you look in our text, as you see it in your Bible, you're going to see a formatting change in verse 8. So, if you look in verse 8 of Ephesians chapter 4, we move from prose to poetry or stanzas. And that's because that is a quote from a psalm. Psalms are songs, and they're written in stanzas, not written in prose. And so the, the translators of the Bible have helped us to notice this. And so it's like, this is like a first century hyperlink. And so Sadie is going to click on that hyperlink for us and read the opening six verses of Psalm 68 that Paul is quoting there. And so as you hear that psalm, I just want you to particularly take note of how is God portraying himself to his people. All right, so, so Paul is bringing Psalm 68 into Ephesians chapter 4. How is God portraying himself to his people and then to the Ephesians and then to us? Then we're going to jump back to the book of Ephesians. We're going to hear some immediately preceding context from chapter 3. So Jen is going to uh, read from Ephesians chapter 3. It's actually a prayer. Before Paul tells the Ephesians what he's going to tell them in chapter 4, he prays for them. And so we're going to hear the prayer of Paul in Ephesians chapter 3, and you're going to hear a link there between growth and love. So just try to, try to pick up on that. Growth and love are linked in Paul's prayer. And then lastly, our fourth text deals with the relationship between growth and truth. So truth and growth are linked in the church. And so that text, that last text, is found in Colossians 1, and it will be read by Lisa. Now, I apologize. That was a lot of things to keep track of. I'm going to try to recap for you. How does the church grow? Why does the church grow? How does God present himself to his people in Psalm 68? What's the relationship between truth and growth in the church? What's the relationship between love and growth in the church? Those will all help you as you hear the word of God. Let's give God's word our attention now. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 to 16. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. 
In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Psalm 68, verses 1 through 6. God shall arise, his enemies shall be scattered, and those who hate him shall flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so you shall drive them away. As wax melts before fire, so the wicked shall perish before God. But the righteous shall be glad, they shall exult before God, they shall be jubilant with joy. Sing to God praises to his name, Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exult before him. Father of the fatherless and protector of the widows is God and his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Colossians chapter 1, verse 26 through 29. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. It's very clear that God has amazing things planned for the people who belong to Jesus. And there were just some really incredible phrases in what we just heard read. Things like, building up the body of Christ to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We heard Paul pray for the Ephesians. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. (laughs) Paul tells them again, we are to grow up in every way. We're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. God has nothing less planned for his people than 
to fill them up with his fullness, to fill them up with his goodness, to fill them up with his presence, to grow them up every way into Jesus Christ, to build them up into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. To, to, to know God in this way, to, to grow up into Christ, is to have full access to infinite peace, infinite joy, magnificent mercy, the richest of fellowship. What could be better than growing up into Christ? How can you get in on that? How can you be a part of this? How can you be a part of this this infinite, transcendent happiness and goodness of enjoying God himself? Well, according, according to Ephesians 4, this is how it works. To deliver us from deceitful schemes, the victorious Christ equips each one of us to build up his church by speaking his truth in his love so that we all grow up into the fullness of Jesus together. Now that's a complex sentence because this is a complex flow of thought. But I believe that that's what the message of Ephesians 4, 7 through 16 is. And so for the next few minutes, we're just going to walk through that one phrase at a time. You don't have to get it all down right now. Uh, I'll just take it one phrase at a time. But to deliver us from deceitful schemes, the victorious Christ equips each one of us to build up his church by speaking his truth in his love so that we all grow up into the fullness of Jesus together. So let's start with that first thought, to deliver us from deceitful schemes. And so obviously we're going to start in verse 14. And just think, think about this. this is a, maturity and growing is a very familiar concept, right? God baked it into the fabric of our existence. You didn't start your life mature. You started your life as a helpless baby. Then you grew into a precocious toddler. We become children, then adolescents, then young adults, uh, humans actually have the longest growth period of any organism. <laughs> a human's brain is not fully developed until they're in their mid-twenties. God has a message for us in that, and this is part of that message. Now, growth is God's gift to you. You are, um, if you're gifted by God with life, you're typically gifted by God with growth. And so you're not going to stay nine years old forever. You're not going to stay 11 years old forever. You're not going to stay... 17 forever. Can I get an amen? <laughs> now, because of the curse, uh, there, is, there, there are developmental disorders, all right? There are cognitive delays. But in general, God, when he gives the gift of life, he gives the gift of growth. And we know that that's a good thing. That's what Paul is appealing to, this natural goodness. So Ephesians 4.14, I'm just going to precede this text by saying, God takes action so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Now, in our culture, um, childhood is rather positively regarded, but that was not so uh, for most cultures, you know, in the, in the ancient world. So in the first century, when, uh, when Paul says that we, so that we may no longer be children, um, he's saying God is delivering you from something negative, right? So children are, are, are gullible. That's kind of the point. You know, you can tell a three-year-old anything, and they'll believe you. I'm going to flip this light switch. Look, the light went on. Magic. Oh, okay, that's magic. You know, like kids will believe anything, right? That's not a good thing. 
That's not a good thing when the world is full of negative influences, powerful lies, deceptions from within, deceptions from the world, deceptions from the evil one. And so that's the point of this verse. God doesn't want us to be immature and gullible. He doesn't want us to be adrift in a sea of opinions like a, like a toddler. He doesn't want us to be vulnerable to human cunning and conniving. He, he, that, that, the last phrase, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, really, I think, pulls in the work of the enemy, the work of the evil one. That, that particular word, craftiness, has the connotation of a predator. So think of a tiger sneaking up on a deer. Powerful, but silent. Claws at the ready. Teeth at the ready. Hidden. Coiled and ready to spring to bring death. That's what toddlers are up against in this world of lies. Now you can see that very clearly If you just flip to chapter 6 of Ephesians, Paul brings up that same word, schemes, that last word in the phrase. Craftiness and deceitful schemes appears there in Ephesians 4.14, and then that same word, schemes, appears in 6.11, where he says, put on the whole armor of God. Don't be a toddler who's unprotected. Be a soldier who is protected, right? Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand not be blown about by the winds of human opinions and the temptations of the devil. You may be able to stand against what? The schemes of the devil. The schemes of the devil. That's what spiritual toddlers are up against in this world. Schemes of the devil. So Paul wants the church to be mature. He wants us to be strong and anchored and stable and safe to hold firmly to the truth of God. He wants us to grow in strength, grow in maturity, grow in stability. But we, we have to start by recognizing that's not the natural state of humanity. You don't, you don't just grow up spiritually in the same way that you grow up physically. No, that's actually a work of God. It's a supernatural gift. And so Paul outlines the natural state of spiritual weakness and spiritual vulnerability uh, in the preceding context in chapter 2. So, so think about a toddler that a lion is trying to eat, all right? As we read Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, think about a toddler who is vulnerable to any kind of lie you throw at them. All right, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Think about this word, following the course of this world. It's like the course of the world is just taking a toddler by the hand and just taking them wherever they want. Following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air. Satan's taking this toddler by the hand, just leading them wherever he wants to go, right? The spirit that is now in work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. That's a sin in the heart. It's deceiving us, taking us wherever it wants us to go. And we're by nature, all right, we're about to get a developmental stage word here. We're by nature, what developmental stage? Uh, And remember, this is, and you were, he's speaking to the Ephesians, and you were children. (laughs) You were children, vulnerable. What kind of children? You were children of the most destitute and vulnerable kind. You were children of wrath, toddlers of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So that's the natural spiritual state of humanity. It's so immature, it's so vulnerable, it's so gullible that Paul could actually say you were dead. You were as good as dead. You were dead. You were following Satan. You were by nature 
toddlers of wrath, deceived by the world, deceived by the flesh, deceived by the devil. Now, toddlers can't save themselves from lions. Toddlers can't save themselves from Satan. Toddlers can't save themselves from deceitful schemes. And so if you want to come to God, you have to come to God with humility. You have to come to God and say, help. I'm under attack. I got enemies inside me. I got enemies in the world. I got enemies in the devil, in the spiritual realms. God, please deliver me. Give me growth in Christ. Give me strength in you. I need your truth. Anchor me. Help me, Lord. If you want to come to Christ, you have to come to him with that kind of humility. Now, when we come to God in that way, God comes to us in a Psalm 68 way. When we come to God in an Ephesians 2 way, God comes to us in a Psalm 68 way. So to deliver us from deceitful schemes, the victorious Christ enters the scene. So let's move on to the victorious Christ. And Ephesians 4, 8 gets us there in this way. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. That's a little archaic, isn't it? That that doesn't quite land on a modern audience the way it landed in the first century. But it means that when Jesus accomplished his work on the cross and he rose from the dead and ascended back to heaven, he was ascending as a victorious champion. He was a battle-winning, enemy-scattering savior. Now, this was a jubilant, triumphant victory party. Think about the end of World War II, okay? Think, Think about... Uh, the, the whole earth is raging in this conflict. Right, you've got the theater in Europe, you've got the theater in the Pacific, and it's horrible. It's nasty. Now think about the end of that war. There was a national party in the streets twice because, I mean, think of all this, D-Day was successful. The, the, the forces had, had invaded Normandy, and they had, they had then moved through Europe from there. Pearl Harbor was avenged. Hitler was toppled. The Holocaust was over. The captives were liberated. There was no land invasion of Japan necessary. The POWs were coming home. Psalm 68 is talking about that kind of victory parade. Something bigger than VE Day and VJ Day combined. So with that in mind, let's hear the opening stanzas of Psalm 68 again. God shall arise. His enemies shall be scattered. And those who hate him shall flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so you shall drive them away. As wax melts before fire, so the wicked shall perish before God. But the righteous shall be glad. They shall exult before God. They shall be jubilant with joy. Sing to God, sing praises to his name, lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord, Yahweh. Exult before him. Who is he? Father of the fatherless, protector of widows, is God in his holy habitation. He settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity. But the rebellious dwell in a parched land. When we come to God in the humility of Ephesians 2, God comes to us in the victory of Psalm 68. I love that second to last phrase of verse 6. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity. 
That is the truth of Christ over each one of his redeemed children. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity. We rejoice because Jesus is our victorious Savior. He leads us out to prosperity and sanity with jubilant songs, jubilant praises. We come to him needy and weak and vulnerable. We come to him empty-handed. But the victorious Christ does not come to us empty-handed. No. He fills our hands with more grace than we can carry. Grace upon grace. Grace upon grace. And so he equips each one of us out of his grace. We'll look at his giving heart. So to deliver us from deceitful schemes, the victorious Christ equips each one of us. He equips each one of us. So let's go back to Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll start at the beginning of that main text in verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. So now you get the sense of it. This is a victorious champion with the spoils of victory coming to give his people out of his fullness and richness and victory. Just like Psalm 68, 6, he leads out the prisoners to prosperity. He gives gifts. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's victorious gift. Listen, Jesus is not a taking dictator. He is a giving savior. Think of Hitler, Stalin, Lenin, Mao Zedong, Kim Jong-il, Takers, takers, taking dictators. Jesus is not a taker, he's a giver. He's a giver. And he gives his people out of his fullness, out of his victory, out of his overflow, out of his goodness. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, in that same heart, in that heart of generosity, In that heart of of goodness, he gives the gift of healthy leadership to the church to bless the saints. And you see that in verse 411. And he gave, the victorious Jesus, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So Christ equips his saints. He gives grace to each one of us. He equips his saints for the work of ministry. So if you belong to Christ, you are no longer a destitute prisoner with empty hands. No, the champion is leading you into his prosperity, into his abundance. He he hands you his blood-bought bounty. He fills your life with it. And so he has gifts for you, every single one of you. If you belong to Jesus, he has gifts of grace for you. There's no such thing as an unimportant, extraneous, uh, you know, dead-end Christian If you belong to Jesus, you can hold your head up high because grace was given to you according to the measure of Christ's gift. And I think you can imagine what the measure of Christ's gift is. Generous, lavish, full, overflowing, priceless. According to the measure of Christ's gift, you possess, if you are a Christian, grace from the champion of champions. And God is equipping you through his grace for ministry work. So again, grace was given, leaders, healthy leadership was given to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Who ministers in the church? Not just the leaders, the saints. 
The saints minister in the church of God. Everyone is being equipped. Everyone is being given gifts from the victorious Christ, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, why does he give us these gifts? What is he equipping us for? To deliver us from deceitful schemes, the victorious Christ equips each one of us to build up his church. To build up his church. Let's continue reading from 4.11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Why? For building up the body of Christ. For building up the body of Christ. Just think about that for a moment. Jesus could build up his own body. He doesn't need to involve us in this process. He chooses to. He wants to. He's giving us this precious task so near and dear to his heart as a privilege. It's as if Jesus is saying behind the scenes here, listen, you guys are going to have way more fun. You're going to have way more joy. You're going to have way more fellowship. You're going to have way more faith. You're going to have way more reward in heaven if I entrust my most near and dear task to you. Equip my church. Equip my church. The, the, the entity that Jesus loves most in the world, the people that he cares most deeply about together, he cares about them so much that he could call them his body. He could call them his bride. He's equipping us and entrusting us with the growth of that beloved entity, that beloved body. The victorious Jesus equips each one of us to build his church, build his bride, build his body. This is just so hard to grasp, but I'm just going to keep hammering this for a few more seconds. Who builds the church? Who builds the church? You do. You build the church. Me. I do. Not because we're awesome, but because our awesome Savior has given us his gifts to equip us out of his victory. He equips us for this incredible, precious work. He's entrusted it to us. Not because he has to, because he wants to. He wants to. Each Christian is called to build the body of Christ. That should cause a question to be burning in your mind. How? Jesus, how do I do that? That sounds massive. That sounds lofty. How? What is the means? What's the mechanism? How do we function together in our gifting from Christ to build up the body that Jesus loves? Well, to deliver us from deceitful schemes... The victorious Christ equips each one of us to build up his church by speaking his truth in his love. By speaking his truth in his love. He doesn't want us to be captive by deceitful schemes. Verse 15, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. 
So how do we grow up? How do we walk in the freedom from deceitful schemes that Christ has purchased for us? How do we shake off the deception and cunning and craftiness of lies? Well, we are people equipped by Jesus with his grace to speak his truth and his love to build up his body. Listen, my truth and my, my love are not enough to build the body of Christ. Your truth and your love. That's, we hear this phrase all the time, my truth, right? Listen, your truth is not enough to build the body of Christ. Neither is your love. You need supernatural truth. You need supernatural love. You need the truth of Jesus in the love of Jesus to build the body of Jesus. This is a supernatural activity. Now let's dig in a little bit more here. What, what does Paul mean when he says speaking the truth in love? You've probably heard somebody use that phrase, I, I know I have, to just like justify speaking in a blunt or a harsh way. You know, like, I'm just speaking the truth in love. That's not really what Paul is getting at, right? Now sometimes, because we love Jesus and we love his body, We will help people to see his truth in a way that brings correction, in a way that brings training, in a way that brings course adjustment. But it has to be his truth in his love to build his body. There's so much more to the text than just merely telling people things they don't want to hear. So what does Paul mean by truth? What does Paul mean by love? Let's look at that first aspect first of speaking the truth. Paul helps us. This is not the only time he mentions truth in this letter. So if you just read a little bit further past what we read this morning to verse 21, Ephesians 4.21, he's talking about assuming that you've heard about him, so you've heard something with your ears, and were taught in him, you were taught something, as the truth is in Jesus. As the truth is in Jesus. What have you heard? What have you been taught? You've been taught the truth that is in Jesus. Now flip back to Ephesians 1, chapter 13. He mentions truth again. In him, Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, what is the word of truth? What's the gospel of your salvation? And believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. How does the Holy Spirit come to you? How do you believe in Him? Well, you hear the truth, and you believe the truth, the word of the gospel. And part of the gospel is bad news. You're a sinner. God is holy. But the majority of the gospel is good news. God has made a way for His holiness and your sinfulness to coexist. He takes away your sinfulness and gives you the righteousness of Jesus. And now you can be with him forever. You can grow up into him who is the head. We also read Colossians 1, 26 through 29. I'm just going to read verse 28. It says, him we proclaim, that's Christ. Christ we proclaim. I don't think we have that up on the overhead, sorry. Him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Those are truth words. Those are truth words. 
Christ we proclaim, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why? That we may present everyone mature in Christ. There's a link between truth and maturity. There's a link between truth and maturity because it's the truth of Christ. How are you to believe unless you hear the truth? The word of the truth, the gospel. So the pinnacle of speaking the truth is speaking the truth of Jesus in the church. Speaking the truth of salvation. Speaking the word of truth in the gospel. Now, good news. Anyone can do that. You can be a believer for three seconds. And you can speak the truth of Jesus. You can say, I love Jesus. He's rescued me three seconds ago from sin. I was blind, but now I see. You don't have to be a believer for 70 years to speak the truth of Jesus. You don't have to have the intellect of Paul the Apostle to speak the truth of Jesus. You could have a very limited grasp of God's word and still say, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones, Tim belong. They're weak, but he is strong. That's all it takes to speak the truth of Christ in the church of Christ. There's a beautiful picture of how God wants the truth to function in the church in 1 Timothy 3.15. God is calling us to be, in 1 Timothy 3.15, the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. A pillar and buttress of the truth. A pillar of the truth of salvation. A fortress of the truth of God's grace to us in Jesus. A bulwark of gospel stability, gospel maturity. And all of that strength comes to God's church in the truth of Christ. And the truth of Christ. We're people called to speak his truth. And we're people called to speak his truth in his supernatural love. I just want to show you briefly how the love of God is linked to the growth of God's people in Ephesians 3. This is the prayer of Paul that immediately precedes Ephesians chapter 4. So Paul says in verse 16, you know, I pray... I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he, which I believe is the Father in this context, may grant you to be strengthened with power. You hear that word? That's a growth word. That's a, that's a maturity word. That's a muscles in the spiritual world, world word or phrase. Strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Why? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love. That's another growth word or growth phrase, right? Rooted and grounded. That calls to mind a plant, right? Let's, since we've got Psalm 1 uh, that gives us a picture of a, of a tree, let's, let's think of a, a massive oak tree, all right? Rooted and grounded. Steadfast, stable. Waves come, no problem. Wind comes, no problem rooted and grounded. And, and we, we infer growth from this, right? When a plant is rooted and grounded, it grows. Now, what's the soil 
Where do the nutrients come for, for, to this tree from? Rooted and grounded in love. The soil of love goes into this plant, into this tree, and makes it strong, makes it grow, strengthens it with power, as he says in verse 16. Now why? May have, so that you may have strength, verse 18, may have strength, there it is again, maturity, growth, power, stability, so you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, oh, there's something he wants us to know. Now we've got truth brought in, right? You may have strength to apprehend the truth with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know, there it is again, truth, apprehension, awareness, the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, do you see how love kind of is above and below this, this growing tree, this, this, this growing church. So more love causes more growth. More growth, more strength causes more knowledge. More knowledge causes more love, which causes more growth, which causes more strength which causes more knowledge, which causes more love. Can you see where I'm going here? It's a virtuous cycle. It's a picture of the church growing in grace and truth and love. The more we grow, listen, look, look again at this, verse 18 and 19. I pray that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints the, the dimensions of the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, the more we grow, the more we get to know the love of Christ. That's what's going to happen. The more we mature, the more, end of verse 19, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The more we mature, the more we get to be filled with all the fullness of God. Filled with the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, as he says in chapter 4. That's beautiful. It's compelling. So to deliver us from deceitful schemes, the victorious Christ equips each one of us to build up his church by speaking his truth in his love so that we all grow up into the fullness of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. From him and to him and through him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, again, This is so marvelous. You might think in this moment it doesn't apply. But this is not some plan reserved for the spiritually elite. This is not some unique vision for the high achievers among us. This is is actually, dare I say, ordinary, universal, normative Christianity. Again, listen to how Paul describes us growing together in Ephesians 4, verse 16. The whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, equipped by God, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What does a healthy church look like? Well, it looks like the whole body. Every joint Every part working properly 
to speak his truth in his love so that his body is built up, builds itself up in love. He's given us that beautiful task, that beautiful opportunity, that beautiful privilege. Now, even now, right this moment, the deceitful schemes of the enemy may be trying to pounce on your mind and heart and tell you that these truths do not apply to you. That could be happening right now. Perhaps in this moment, you just feel too weak and too worn out. Perhaps you feel too quiet, too shy, too introverted. Perhaps you know that your best years are behind you. Perhaps you feel your energy fading. I can't, I can't serve like I once did. I can't, I just, I don't have the energy anymore. Perhaps the enemy is whispering in your ear right now, you're too young. You're too old. If you feel those lies creeping in, I have such good news for you. Such good news because the agent of growth in God's church is not in your muscles. It's not in your energy. It's not in your experience. It's not in your family background. It's not in your intellect. It's in your mouth. We each have one of those. It's in your mouth. You can speak the truth of Jesus in the love of Jesus to build the church of Jesus, even on your deathbed, if God gives the grace. You can say amen out loud to a prayer here on a Sunday morning. You can sing with us the praises of Jesus. It's one of the reasons why when we share communion, we all speak together. Because we're speaking the truth of Christ in the love of Christ to build up the body of Christ. That's a beautiful moment. Your only limitation is the measure of Christ's gift to you. That's your limitation. The measure of Christ's gift. Not your age, your experience, your intellect, your family background, your training. So the message of of Ephesians 4 is very clear. We, we We not only each play a role, but we each need each other. Did you see that? We need each other in order to grow. I'm just going to look at verse 16 again. The whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which is it equipped when each part is working properly. Notice that phrase. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Listen, I need you to grow. You catch that? I can't grow the way God wants me to grow without you. You guys can't grow without each other. It's a body. It's not a dictatorship. (laughs) Listen, there's no part of your human body that you wouldn't miss if it were were ceasing to function properly. There's no part of your physical body. God made us that way on purpose. You don't don't have, you know, if you take a part of your body out and you leave it on a shelf, you don't come back and say, oh, wow, really healthy, looking good over there, liver. Nice. No, no. It doesn't work that way on purpose. On purpose, there's no part of your body that can be cut off and then be healthy 
on, your, on its own. If you came across a severed hand in your lawn while you were mowing the grass, you scream and you call 911. You don't say, oh, hey, looking healthy. No. That's the stuff of horror movies, not the stuff of health regimens. We need each other. I need you. You need me. You need each other. We take membership here seriously at Providence because we take the parts of our body seriously, right? You won't catch me cutting my hand off on purpose. We take membership here seriously because we take the truth and love of Christ seriously, right? We take his truth and love seriously. We take the growth of his body seriously. Therefore, we take membership seriously. It just seems to flow from the word of God. Now, all that being said... uh, We are nothing special in and of ourselves. We're nothing mighty in and of ourselves. We're nothing flashy or fancy. But but let me tell you, brothers and sisters, uh, as I've studied Ephesians 4, I have become so grateful for our Sunday morning gatherings. Uh, These times together are just so precious because when we gather, this is a place where we speak the truth of Christ in the love of Christ to build the body of Christ. When we gather, by God's grace, we, 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 we sing the truth of Christ in the love of Christ. And, and we pray the truth of Christ in the love of Christ. And we, we share communion together to, to proclaim and to experience the truth of Christ in the love of Christ. God is building his church as we gather together here on Sunday mornings. It's a beautiful, powerful thing. Beautiful work of God. I love worshiping God with you. God is building us up into Christ here. We are going to be more stable and steadfast in the truth a year from now. We are going to be more rooted and established in the love of Christ a year from now. We're going to, go, we're going to know more and more of the unknowable love of Jesus together. Because God... The victorious Jesus is, is filling us with himself. Each one of you are a part of that, a vital part of that. And building the church is not something real fancy. It's speaking the truth of Christ in the love of Christ. We can all do that. You do do that. Thank you for doing that. Do so more and more. So one more time, to deliver us from deceitful schemes... The victorious Christ equips each one of us to build up his church by speaking his truth in his love so that we all grow up into the fullness of Jesus. I can't wait to pray with you in a few moments. This is our time to make requests of God, to ask God to be at work. Now that we've heard his word, our hearts and minds are full of ways that we want God to bless his people here, in this region, in this nation, and across the globe. So will you join me in prayer? Let's pray for the work of God. Lord, thank you for your heart to just give us this beautiful work of building your body. Thank you for entrusting us with your truth, entrusting us with your grace, entrusting us with your love. Lord, we just confess together that our love and our truth in and of ourselves, has nothing to offer for the growth of your church. And so we we ask that you would fill us, fill us with your love, 
Fill us with your truth. Let it just overflow out of us. God, I pray for folks who feel weak, for folks who feel shy, for folks who feel left out, for folks who feel sidelined, Lord God. Please strengthen my brothers and sisters. Holy Spirit, please show my brothers and sisters that we each, we each can speak of Jesus together. God, fill our lips with your truth. Fill our hearts with your love. Holy Spirit, we need you. Come and help us now, we pray. Hear us.